Well, whoever said that this was going to be a sleepy, quiet week in college football doesn't know ball. We've got upsets, and we're answering the question tonight, is anyone actually good in college football here on the first live recap show of the three technique? One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Welcome into the first ever live recap show here on the Three Technique. I'm Mitch Mason, joined by Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. Fellas, uh, what an incredible day of college football. We began our preview show on Wednesday night by saying, look, all football is good football, but I don't even know that we truly grasp the slate and the action that we were going to get today. There weren't a lot of matchups between, there were no matchups actually, between ranked teams. Uh, and yet that didn't matter when it came down to it. What a tremendous slate of football we got to enjoy. Um, I'm ready to break this down with you guys. And, and boy, we have got a, a slate of questions to answer. Uh, Trey, you know, you're uh, off enjoying a little bit of rest. As someone who enjoyed this maybe more sparingly than others, what what's kind of your your instant reaction to uh, to week three in college football? Yeah, I mean, it was hard to stay away, right? You try to pick the week that's going to be the least resistance to, uh, you know, following everything. And, of course, all everything breaks loose as we're uh, out of town a little bit. But, you know, it was fascinating to follow. Doing a lot of radio watching, uh, a lot of scoreboard watching on the phone, trying to flip between games on the phone, uh, between different activities. But, you know, that didn't take away from the excitement because these games were really, really good. The morning window and the uh, evening window especially really delivered. And then we had some surprises along the way, too, this afternoon window with Alabama USF in particular and uh, Georgia, South Carolina being closer than I think we all predicted. So even the ones that didn't turn into actual upsets were very, very close games, very exciting games, ones that came down to the wire. And it felt like we had just as many of those as we have the first two weeks, which was amazing. Garrett, I mean, goodness, uh, it's it's hard to it's hard to beat a surprise Saturday when you have upsets going on, when you have really ridiculously tight games that maybe you didn't didn't expect going into the week. Uh, you know, we're going to get into a discussion around kind of the top of college football, but I think we got to give give a round of applause to to home dogs to teams that just stood up and, and said, you know what, we're not going to take the disrespect from Vegas. We're going to go out and we're going to show what we're made of today. This was a blast enjoying a, a full slate of, of football here on Saturday. Yeah, and I mean, a big topic we'll talk about later in the show has to do with who should be feeling good right now. Like, who are actually the good teams? Should you be proud of your team's performance? Today, it almost feels like a victory and a, and a massive win, no matter who you played, if you just took care of your business, right? If you're just mm -hmm. the, we went out there, we played a team that was worse than us, and we beat them by 40. Like, you should just feel good about yourself. But there's a lot of teams that maybe they let a team hang around for a little while, then they ran up the score that 
you know, they, they, you know, ended up losing a game that they really shouldn't have. Um, there's a few of those that, you know, I mean, you got to start to question, like, do we actually feel good about this? Were we playing with a little bit of fool's gold? How good are we really? We're here to break that down. I'm super excited to start to figure that out with you guys. Cause this week three was crazy. <laughs> Well, we're going to get into uh, several key games uh, as well as going down a number of items of discussion. But first, of course, have to shout out our friends over the Transfer Portal CFB, our partners uh, in crime this season and looking forward to continuing to create great content from them. Uh, They do a fantastic job tweeting out video clips, information, and they have their own podcast as well. So head on over to the Transfer Portal CFB website. You can find our article bright and early on Monday morning, headlines in review, uh, and basically your your morning sports page. Uh, if you missed anything, we'll be breaking it down for you. We also have to shout out Homefield and uh, the just wonderful collections that they've got going on. Guys, I saw their mini game day collections, game of the week collections that are going on. They they were giving a lot of love to Sunbelt teams this week. Um, I saw Tulane's collection like absolutely blew up. Some Some fantastic pieces coming out there. Uh, home, Homefield is, uh, without a doubt, the best apparel brand in college sports, you will love their designs, the feel as the most comfortable shirts that, that we own. And you can uh, obviously get 15% off your first purchase with three tech pod, or you can head on over to our Twitter account. There's a link that you can uh, purchase through that. If you are a repeat buyer to get 15% off as well, but gentlemen, let's get into it. We have got a couple of games that we want to talk through kind of individually before we get into more maybe thematic elements, if you will. And, and first, I think we have to start with kind of the, the three big games that, that we had outlined, I guess two that stood the test of time, and then Alabama-USF because, boy, the storylines coming out of that game are, are just tremendous. Uh, but Missouri-Kansas State, we'll talk about them. Georgia-South Carolina, the, the Gamecocks gave the Bulldogs a heavy scare there in the first first half. And then we got to break down Alabama football, but – we, we had some questions coming into this weekend slate. Why was Missouri-Kansas State kind of that leadoff game, right? And we, we prefaced it, Trey, with the idea that, well, this week when there aren't any ranked matchups, you, you kind of have to go by feel, right? And we picked games that we felt were most interesting to us that would have our attention come Saturday morning. And you know, Kansas State... Entered Columbia, Missouri is five and a half point favorites. We all questioned, hey, does Missouri actually have the goods to back it up? Can they upset Kansas State, a team that they haven't beaten since 2010 at home? Uh, what are they going to get from Brady Cook, who actually got booed in the, the early part of that game? Eli Drinkowitz addressed that in uh, in his postgame press conference. But 30 to 27 and a new SEC record, Harrison Mevis kicks a 61-yarder to walk it off for the Tigers. I, Missouri should be undefeated going into, uh, what is it, their Week 6 matchup against LSU. They, they looked really, really good at home against a talented Kansas State team. Yeah, they've proved what we were concerned they didn't have, right? All They've had the talent. They've had Luther Burden on the field for two years now, but this is really his first big breakout game on the national stage, and he – single-handedly at times took over that game. He was the playmaker on the offensive side of the ball that they desperately needed to differentiate themselves from K-State. But first of all, just a fantastic game, fantastic college football game, fantastic rivalry game. The fans were, you know, really into it, even if they were, you know, channeling that energy in a negative way at the beginning of the game uh, for Oakfield. But just a fantastic college football game. And I 
am really impressed with Missouri. It seems like finally using the playmakers that they've desperately recruited and desperately put on the field. So the offensive outburst was really good. This is not what we expected, you know, especially coming out of the game against Middle Tennessee State last week, looking a little lackluster. Um, in Kansas State, it wasn't that they were bad on the offensive side of the ball. They started a little slow. They got a little sluggish in the middle, and they, you know, traded blows with Missouri, uh, you know, back and forth. It seemed like at the end they were okay with playing for overtime, and that really came back and bit them. Uh, and, you know, you thought they were going to get away with it when Eli Drinkowitz almost grossly mismanages oh. the clock, and he got bailed out by his kicker, uh, Harrison Mevis, at the end of the game. He got bailed out when he nailed that 61-yarder because that delay of game penalty, that, you know, just whole sequence at the end was, you know, a fireable offense in some. I saw Dan Keegan, our colleague at the transfer portal, said today was either going to be, you know, full of celebration for Missouri or they're already going to be starting to talk about head coaching candidates for next year. So I guess we can punt it down the road, but you almost saw exactly what they were talking about there at the end. But credit to Missouri – they got it done. They win the rivalry game. It's a big, big upset. And Kansas State now has to find some more answers before Big 12 play starts. This almost felt like, in some ways, it felt like Kansas State was losing to a good team and a team that you know absolutely belonged in that competition. And then there are elements like that final drive where, again, it's like, gosh, Kansas State drops a game every single year that they have no business dropping, right? And and listen, I, I truly think Eli Drinkowitz got outcoached in this game. Uh, they had some explosive plays. Will Howard was playing banged up. Mm-hmm. And that Kansas State offense in the rain lacked a little bit of the spark that I think we're used to seeing from the Wildcats, at least when when Will Howard is is under center. Um, but yeah, that, that last drive just felt like one miracle after another from Missouri. And then the fact that they're able to hit a 61 yard field goal after Trey, you mentioned that delay a game penalty. I mean, Missouri Twitter was going, was going berserking and Garrett. That, rightfully, that's, so. rightfully so. Yeah. Right. That sequence was disgusting because Missouri did not have a timeout. And yet there was no urgency from the tiger players getting up to the line of scrimmage to snap that ball. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and I mean, in a game like this, it really comes down to the little things, right? When you look at the stats, I'll bring the stats up again. Uh, But when you look at all the stats, it it looks like pretty much an even right across the board, right? Total yards is pretty even. You know, you look at the turnovers, it was one to zero, right? There's that. Um, I mean, Missouri not particularly good on third down. But Mm -hmm. yeah, it comes down to the little things and the little things at the end of the game. Those things matter. And so, you know, little things like clock management, little things like making sure you got the right guys on the field, you know, the play call, stuff like that that's going to end up mattering and obviously almost cost them. Um, they, they get to talk about, you know, longest field goal now, and that's kind of fun. But yeah, at this point, you're just having to get out of there with the win, but you got to, you know, take your hats off to them. They played a heck of a game. Um, throwing up a couple more stats right here. You look at some of these stats across the board. I was really impressed. Luther Burden, you know, with yep. the coming out party in his first, I think, you know, big you know game that he's really being seen in as their number one. 
guy, seven receptions, 114 yards, two touchdowns, had that massive one over the top at the very beginning of the game to kind of bust open the scoring and set the tone. So really impressed with that, really impressed with Missouri and, and you know, hopefully seeing what they can do going forward. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, how Kansas State seems to lose one of these games early all the time. Well, last year they lost to, what, Tulane, and they ended up going and winning the the Cotton Bowl. Yep. So we'll see what Missouri does. We all think that Kansas State's a pretty good team. I'm not going to pick and win the Cotton Bowl today, but, you know, they, they lose to a good team at the beginning of the year. I don't think it's going to come back and hurt them too much. So we'll we'll see what ends up happening. Um, but I, I'm really, really curious to see with Mizzou where they go from here and if they can build on this in an SEC that we'll talk about later, maybe not as convincing as it's been in previous years. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. A shout out to Missouri's defense as well. Three sacks, four tackles for loss, six passes defended. I mentioned Howard was not healthy in this game, but still Missouri's defense played well when they needed to. Uh, guys, another game where at first defense was really in question and, and then eventually it turned into, I think, the defensive stalemate that at least many projected. That's Georgia knocking off South Carolina 24-14. This first half was depressing if you were a Georgia fan. The offense couldn't move the ball. The defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. Spencer Rattler goes eight for eight on the opening drive and a touchdown pass just marches down the field. Now, South Carolina lost Juice Wells on that first drive. A broken bone in his foot is what Shane Beamer told us in between the first and the second quarter uh, in his interview. But this this will bleed, I think, into the discussion of, hey, who is actually good this year in college football? But, Garrett, that Georgia defense looked like they showed up in, in house shoes and, and pajama bottoms. They were not ready to play. Oh, they're getting out physical for a little while. And, and you know, you look at some of those first couple drives, it, it didn't look like anybody came to play. And, I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you're Georgia, you want the win, right? We talk about it, and I, I've said this multiple times. I'll say this a couple times tonight, but – you know, you get a bad game if, if you're a team like Georgia, if you're a team that's trying to compete at the very, very top. You know, you get one bad game where you don't really show up to play, you don't really show up with your best stuff. Th this might be Georgia's one, right? This might be the one where they get to show up and, you know, the, the Gamecocks tend to give them a problem, whatever. They, you know, they did the same thing with Missouri last year. They went on and won the national championship. So, look, maybe this is how it goes from this year. But, I mean, I wasn't crazy, crazy impressed with the product on the field. Uh, pulling up to some of these stats real quick. You look, Carson Beck, not necessarily convincing. Not a poor day necessarily, 27-35, 269, no touchdowns. Um, the running backs kind of took care of business. I think three rushing touchdowns in this game by different backs. Edwards mm -hmm. kind of led the way in the yardage. But, you know, I, I think you just really have to look at this and say, if you're Georgia, why do you feel good about this game? This is the, the South Carolina team that just a couple weeks ago you know, got kind of smacked around by North Carolina, you know, gave up a whole bunch of sacks, really got, you know, destroyed up front. And you couldn't do very much for a while. There, there was a lot of a lot of struggling up front, a lot of struggling in the line of scrimmage for a while. If you can't do that against the South Carolina team with no offensive line, what happens when you play Missouri this year, right? A Missouri team that went mm -hmm. out and played physical against the Kansas State team. What happens if you go and play Florida, who impressed us tonight? Um, I, I think there's a lot of questions if you're a Georgia fan tonight. And I think that, you know, obviously across this country is going to be several questions for a lot of these big teams, but Georgia's certainly not without their questions. Uh, Trey, the, the Bulldogs initially couldn't stop Spencer Rattler, but his line, he finishes 22 of 42, 
256 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Now, listen, I don't really fault him for those two picks. He had to force the ball late. The offense couldn't move anything. For me, I look at the 53 yards rushing. That was all that they got, despite pushing the Bulldogs around in the first half. It really was a tale of two halves, where Georgia just completely bowed up, did not allow anything to get through in the second half. Um, tell me, Tell me this. Do you feel like South Carolina has something this year that they can still be a dangerous team, or do you think that Georgia was just asleep at the wheel here in the first half? Because in the second half, it, it looked like South Carolina couldn't do anything to save their lives. Yeah, and I mean, Georgia's a great team that's going to make halftime adjustments because they have a fantastic coaching staff, and they took away what Spencer Rattler was you know, exploiting in the first half. South Carolina had a fantastic game plan in the first half they were getting guys open their route concepts were fantastic i'm thinking you know towards the end of the first half when they scored to go up uh 14 to 3 at that point it wasn't a touchdown but it was a play that got them right on the doorstep it was just a beautiful route concept where they hid the inside receiver wide open just georgia had no answer for that mm -hmm. but they have a fantastic coaching staff that makes adjustments and right out of the gate in the second half you saw the fruit of that, right? Georgia just takes over the game. They score two touchdowns really quickly. They score 21 unanswered in the second half, and that's all she wrote. So I think South Carolina has the talent to scare a lot of teams this year. I think that they can jump up and get somebody on any given week, really. We've seen our running theme today is going to be that we don't think the SEC has any dominant teams maybe outside of Athens, Georgia, and that's going to mean a team like South Carolina can certainly jump up and get somebody that preseason we didn't think they were supposed to. So I, I came away encouraged by South Carolina. The second half was definitely disappointing if you're a fan of the Gamecocks, but Spencer Rattler's having a great year so far. He is, you know, exceeding expectations, and that's all you can really ask for. If you have a quarterback that's exceeding expectations, playing really well, you're going to win a lot of football games, and I think South Carolina fans can be encouraged by that. They have a brutal schedule like they do every year. The, do. the schedule's going to be really tough. They still have Clemson at the end of the year. They still have pretty much their full SEC East schedule. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm leaning more towards them making a bowl game now after these first three weeks than I was before the season and maybe making a nicer bowl game than they have in the past. So, um, but back on Georgia real quick, if we can, for a second, guys. Um, this, this is concerning to me because we, we've toyed around with, you know, should we discuss the slow offensive starts for the Georgia Bulldogs? We, we've brought that up the last two weeks in our show prep for our recap shows, and we've decided not to really mention it. We've mentioned it here and there. We mentioned it in our preview for South Carolina, but this is now three for three, mm -hmm. extremely slow starts for the Georgia offense. And I think they have – I don't know if it's a game planning problem. I don't know if it's an offensive coordinator problem, but they are missing Todd Munkin right now. I think that yeah. is very, very clear. Mike Bobo, that something is missing with what's going on there in Athens on the offensive side of the ball. I know they lost a lot. I know they lost a four-year starter at quarterback. I know Carson Beck is learning on the job right now, and that's going to be a lot of growing pains, but it just seems like something is missing, does it not? It, it feels like very reminiscent of what we've seen the last couple of years in college station, right? Yes. Where yeah. the play calling does not seem to be built around the personnel that the Bulldogs have. The reads are just happening so slowly. And I don't know if that's a Carson Beck problem. I don't know if that's a route tree problem where 
you know, that was certainly the case with Jimbo's offense where it didn't matter where Haynes King or Kellen Mond was looking. By the time that route was supposed to be breaking open, there was pressure breathing down the quarterback's neck, right? And that was the case early on in the first half where I felt like Beck didn't know where to go with the football. He was always under pressure. Um, he was having to force the ball into tight windows. I agree. I think I think Georgia has a Mike Bobo problem. I, I think very similar to what we're about to talk about with Alabama, I think a team's struggles at sometimes can be directly correlated with the quality of the coordinator. Um, you know, and we've we've obviously talked about that with a couple of teams this year, but for me, it's a Mike Bobo problem. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at this and say that it's it's it is a Mike Bobo problem. Like it, it comes down to the fact that when you're Georgia. You're going to have the players, you're going to have the athletes, but you have to know where to put them. And when you have a young quarterback, you have to put them in a position to win. When you have a quarterback that hasn't played that many games, who hasn't you know, started in the big time, you're not going to be able to get away with stuff that maybe you previously have been able to. Obviously, I know with Stetson Bennett, it was a different situation. But you know, you had a guy in Stetson Bennett the last couple of years that if things were struggling, you could kind of count on him to be the leader, to be the guy who's been around, who's played in the big games to overcome those problems. You can't count on that with Carson Beck. He hasn't played that level of football yet. This is his you know, conference game number one, right? And so you have to make sure that you're putting him in situations to win. You're giving him easy reads. You're giving him what he can handle. And if he can't handle it, then you, you have to make sure that you're putting him in a position to, you know, to win his way, right? It, to, to hand the ball off to the backs, to you know, establish the run, to dominate on defense, right? And if you're not going to do any of those things, you're, you're going to struggle long term. I, I'm very concerned about the offense, certainly at the top of the SEC. Now, maybe not for LSU. They exploded today against Mississippi State. We'll talk about them a little bit later on. But, guys, the last uh, game to talk about here before we dive into some deeper discussions uh, about football as a whole, whatever the product was down in Tampa, Florida today, number 10 Alabama beats South Florida 17-3. to Guys, Alabama didn't look like a top 10 team. They didn't look like a top 25 team. Trey, this looked like a Crimson Tide team that is cruising towards an 8-4 record at best. And, and if you watch that game, you know that is not an exaggeration. We'll talk about the quarterback play in, in just a moment. But you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, on screen right now, 107 passing yards. Some of that can be explained by the monsoon that rolled through in the first half. But Trey, I mean... Two different quarterbacks for Alabama. Both of them looked like they should be cut tomorrow if Alabama intends to compete for a national title. I mean, this was as uncharacteristic of a performance from a Nick Saban team as we've seen since 2007. Yeah, weird situation. We highlighted how this was a weird road game for them in Tampa. Got even weirder with the monsoon that rolls through, the weather delay when they're – I can't remember if they were tied 3-3 if they are down 3 nothing when that happened, but very early on in the game. And, you know, they just can't find rhythm on the offensive side of the ball right now, and that's what we were concerned about. You talk about coordinator problems. Tommy Reese, we scratched our heads at this show when that was announced as the offensive coordinator hire for Nick Saban's Alabama team. That's just such a step down when you think about – just the pedigree that he's had on the offensive side of the ball, especially from his coordinators, Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, you know, the just plethora of amazing play callers he's had over the last decade. And then you couple that with the lack of quarterback talent. It's, 
it is, it's a big, big red flag, right? It's a big, big red flag if you're an Alabama fan. And I would be really concerned if I was a fan of Alabama right now about what Nick Saban's going to be able to do to patchwork this this year because the solution is not on the roster at quarterback. I think we can say that now. And I think that's the downside of this game and the downside of throwing those two guys into this game is, you know, Tyler Buckner and Simpson did not look the part. And they can definitely improve as the season goes on, as they get more experience. But you have to think that the solution of quarterback is not on the roster right now. And that has to really mm-hmm. scare you because Saban's going to somehow have to somehow have to patchwork this together if they're going to do anything this year. And it's going to have to be defense running the football. And I just don't think that that's going to win consistently. When you think about the high-powered offenses they're going to have to go up against. Are they going to be able to keep up with an Ole Miss? Are they going to be able to keep up with a Texas A&M in College Station that their offense finally looks like it's clicking? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to keep up with an LSU that just put up 41 points in Starkville today? I don't think so. <laughs> this current version of Alabama, unless they have the best defensive game plan and just play lights out on defense every week, it's going to be the worst season we've seen from Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa since his first year. Garrett, when when I look at this Crimson Tide team in, in, in pro-Alabama fans – I'm talking like national media, right? Experts that that also do this for a living. In order for Alabama to succeed, the way that they've explained away the quarterback play is, well, Alabama can just rely on that offensive line. They can run the football. They can ground it out like they did in 2009, 2010, right before Saban finally updated his play calling. That's not true, though, this year. This offensive line, despite the veteran presence that they have on board, they're struggling. USF was getting into the backfield kind of with ease. I, I think they had three, I think they had three sacks. Alabama had four sacks, but the quarterback pressures were were coming relatively often. I'm very concerned about Alabama's ability to compete with most teams in the SEC West. Not just, you know, the LSUs, but really anybody if they don't get better play from the trenches. And this is a team that shouldn't struggle with that, right? This is a team that we, you know, right. we've seen all the, oh, this is one of the best rosters of all time. They have, you know, three of the four best classes of all time on their campus. And they, they you know, these guys are all elite and everything's amazing. And so, like, they shouldn't struggle to, you know, beat up the 131st out of 131 scoring defenses last year, right? The USF had one of the worst defenses in the entire country last year, if not the absolute worst. And they struggled to hold them off on the line of scrimmage with some of these incredibly talented athletes. Now, look, I was super impressed with, like, I don't know their names, but four and zero and, and pass rush for USF. They looked great. They were really good players, looked pretty, pretty slick. They were giving them whoever the quarterback was back there problems. But at the end of the day, you you have to be able to outplay these, you know, small teams that you, you go and you schedule and you pay them a bunch of money and whatever else, right. You, you have to be able to outplay these teams just based on talent alone. You're supposed to be able to do this and, and Bama didn't get it done today. And so look, I think we just talked about Georgia. Georgia has like, you know, oh, we're raising the alarm a little bit. Yeah, we're kind of concerned. Bama is through the roof. You don't have a quarterback on your roster. You've seen three of them now, and one of them couldn't pass the ball at all. The other two today, they got outpassed by Byron Brown 
Yikes. He passed for 87 yards, and he outpassed both Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner. Um, ultimately, you know, Williams gets the carries and, and scores for Bama. But look, if you're Bama, you've got problems. You got some issues. You gotta you gotta address it. If you don't have a quarterback, you have problems. If you don't have an offensive line that can keep people off you, you have problems. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't seem like they've had any real playmakers step up on a week to week basis to to show that they can be that guy. And the defense has been great, but you know, they, they didn't look that good against Texas. And, you know, Texas struggled a little bit tonight against Wyoming for a while. It eventually pulled away, but didn't look like the same Texas team that looked like last week. So, I mean, I don't know what you do if you're Alabama. It's it's time for the alarms, and it's time for, you know, kind of Nick Saban to make his make his his stake, his stake known. This doesn't affect the fact that he's the best coach of all time, but it, I think it's fair to ask if Bama is over. I think there's a chance that the Bama dynasty is over at this point. There's a good chance uh, for sure. Um, earlier we asked the question, can Georgia afford these slow starts? Teddy Moore, who's in the chat, writes, I think Georgia can afford these slow starts being back-to-back champs, not making excuses for them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so far they've been able to to survive that. I'm, I'm concerned. I think we are all concerned once Georgia actually starts playing teams that that can bow up defensively Mike Bobo's offense is not built to come from behind right um, I don't know that they have the weaponry out wide to come from behind uh, if they're down multiple scores um, you know quickly do y'all have thoughts on that yeah I think you're absolutely right and I was really concerned when they were down 14 to 3 because I didn't even know if they <laughs> yep. were equipped what they showed in the first half didn't show that they were equipped to come back from down 11 points let alone if they get down you know 21 down somewhere down the line so yeah I think that's spot on yeah and and I think look Georgia does get the benefit of the doubt right they are the back-to-back champs they have one of the best rosters in the whole country but at a certain point the benefit of the doubt starts to wane right you can give them benefit of the doubt that's why I have my one game rule if you're one of these elite teams you get one game and, you know, same with Bama. You can get your one game. I mean, they already lost their one game to Texas, but I guess you get your one game with USF and, you know, okay, you kind of get your ugly win. But Saban you know, gets probably, two because he's the GOAT. Saban I guess. gets two. He's Saban. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> But, you know, you, you get your one game. And so take your one game if you're Georgia and say, yeah, that wasn't good. We've had some slow starts. This one almost cost us. And you got to find a way to get on the board quick start putting up that, you know, 7.14.21 point starts in the first quarter and and get off to the races. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, Garrett, I think this is where you can start a new segment on the YouTube channel. Let's let's talk about the question that everyone is asking at the end of week three. Which teams are actually elite in college football? We, we've talked about the struggles of of teams like Georgia, of Alabama, Kansas State getting upset. Guys, games that we haven't talked about yet, but but we obviously will. Florida knocking off number 11, Tennessee. That's a, it's a little pat on the back for, for yours truly. Um, it just felt like the swamp was going to be too much for, for Tennessee, and indeed that's, that's the case. Florida State, number three team in the country, nearly gets upset by Boston College. 
of all teams, the red bandana game was, is, is always a special occasion, but boy, I didn't, I didn't expect, uh, expect that result. 31 29. Now Washington blows out Michigan state. Good for them. LSU blows out uh, Mississippi state, but you look across the span of college football. Texas was struggling with Wyoming. I'm not sure if that game's gone final as we're recording, but uh, it was 17-10. Longhorns, when we hit record, they were driving. Heck, even Colorado right now. Guys, they're losing 21-14 to Colorado State, and the, the Rams yep. are driving again there. There's kind of this feeling to me around the country that, you know what? There may not be an elite team in college football it took michigan three quarters to pull away from bowling green so garrett let's start with you i mean is there a team that you trust this season that you would say yes this is the team that can go 12 and 0 this is the team that is just a cut above everyone else um look i mean i think that there's a couple of them um i already know you know teddy in the chat he's going to be talking about michigan i know for sure i, I think michigan is still there I, I don't think you can say for sure yet because they haven't played necessarily that level of talent but they haven't shown me anything so far to make me worried um a little bit of a slow start today against bowling green but ended up taking care of business also same for texas um they ended up winning 31 10 over wyoming i think that one went final so look they took care of their business i think uh look notre dame has looked really really good notre dame has looked really good in all phases um they haven't really slipped up anywhere they have some playmakers it, you know they they have some really good players across the board i think you have to think notre dame is one of those teams and i think if you're going to look across the country you have to start kind of peeking up there at the northwest and starting to ask yourself look washington oregon a couple mm-hmm. of really good teams couple of you know high scoring teams that you know oregon scores it goes 55-10 on hawaii tonight um we'll talk about some more when we go in the around the country in the scoreboard but you have some really good scores across the country tonight um, from some of these teams. So I'm, I'm starting to wonder, I don't know if any of these teams are necessarily in the South right now. <laughs> I don't know that you can say that, you know, Hey, for sure, Bama, for sure, Georgia, you know, I feel fantastic about Texas or, you know, even Oklahoma, Oklahoma didn't really play anybody that much yet. Um, and so I'm, I'm still waiting to see some of these teams play somebody. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some there's some good teams in this country, and I, I think that most of them are you know up north or on the coast. I've got my eyes in the northwest, like you said, Garrett, with Washington and mm-hmm. uh, Oregon. Even Washington State and Oregon State look really good. I don't think they're. I'm not talking about them going 12 and 0 by any stretch of the imagination, but it could be <laughs> really fun nine or ten win teams. Absolutely. Sure. And I've also got my eyes on the Sunshine State because I do think Florida State is better than what they showed today. This game was yeah. like 31 to 10 at one point. I think they kind of mm-hmm. fell asleep at the wheel in, in up in Chestnut Hill. And it was a weird weather game. We saw a lot of that around the country today. Also got my eyes on the Miami Hurricanes, guys, because I was really impressed by them last week. They followed that up with just a dismantling of Bethune-Cookman on a short week. They've got some big-time matchups coming up really, really soon. So I'm really excited to see how they handle another big test, especially later in the year when they get Florida State. I think they play Clemson as well this year. I can't remember if Clemson's on the schedule, but some big time matchups coming for the Hurricanes. And, you know, I I think you got to look out at LA too. I think, you know, the offense at USC, I don't, we still don't know if they're a half team or not, but USC, they were off today, but uh, the offense is definitely going to be deadly. And UCLA quietly putting together a really nice start to the year. They got some kinks worked out. They made a quarterback change after Coastal Carolina. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were last year, but it, they're looking really, really solid early. 
you know, one more while I'm thinking about it, and, and there's a team that's 3-0 and right now that's scored a whole bunch of points, and their opponents really haven't put up all that many points. That's the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, yeah. Look, they, they played Clemson, stomped all over them. I know they played Northwestern today, 38-14, pretty emphatic win there. They played, you know, nobody last week and won by, you know, a bunch to a little again. I'm not saying that Duke is elite, but I don't think that they've shown you anything so far to say no, they're not. They, they played really, really good football. They played extremely good defense. Riley Leonard is that quarterback. So, uh, look, we could be looking up at a top 10 Duke here in the next couple of weeks, depending on how things shake out. Penn State uh, as well. That's one where I'll throw in. Penn State is yeah, really good. Too. They've been good. I, I, I'll raise the yellow flag on Penn State a little bit, only because, guys, I don't know if they should have beaten Illinois today. Uh, Illinois kind of beat themselves. Luke Altmaier threw four interceptions today. That's not um, good. Not not the answer for for Burt Ball uh, up there in the Champagne Room, but I think if Aller can take care of the turnovers, um, I think they should be fine going forward. I'm I'm a little concerned about the trenches for Penn State. They haven't looked or they haven't looked very impressive on either side of the ball, the offensive line or the defensive line. So even though I'm the one that picked Penn State to win the Big Ten to go to the playoff. A little bit nervous uh, about them. <laughs> I completely agree with Florida State and Washington. I love both of those teams. Jordan Travis looked like he was a little dinged up at, at one point today, so I'm not going to hold uh, a, a close call against Florida State. 18 penalties, by the way, for Boston College. That's a program record, and it's essentially what costs them the ability to right. to maybe upset the Knowles. Um, you know, I, I'll shout out the Big 12 teams. I think, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, I don't think the Big 12 is very good this year, but Texas and Oklahoma are are looking good. Now, Texas, listen, they struggled against Wyoming. They pull away late. That's a veteran Wyoming ball club that they sure. were in a dogfight with, with and, and found a way. With, with the backup <laughs> quarterback, that is that is true. Um, that is true, but when you're clunkers. Uh, and Oklahoma, never leaving them off the hook. Come on. <laughs> guys, Oklahoma has a defense this year, and I know they, they haven't played anybody. Oh, yes, I know they haven't played anybody yet, but they are – trouncing teams right now mm -hmm. i think the sooners are, are going to be a, a threat late in the season as well especially with as, as soft uh as, as that schedule is so you know please please let us know who uh who you have as an elite team you know give give a couple of, of points of reference we, we like to build a legal case here so defend your <laughs> defend your point uh yeah what's up Garrett? before we move on i do want to say three teams that we did not put on the elite tier right there georgia Alabama, Ohio State. Those yep. are the three usual suspects, and they very mel they they might make up three of the four playoff teams this year, right? They might turn it around. They got good enough coaching staffs, good enough players on the rosters. They could turn this whole thing around and and, and you know light it up for the rest of the year. And very well, they could end up there. But we didn't mention them now. They haven't looked good enough to mention them. It's kind of fun to have parody in college football like this. It's kind of fun to say, hey, look, I, it's not just the same usual suspects. There's some good teams across the country, and, and we're able to kind of split or, uh, spread it around a little bit, you know? Ohio State looks like they figured it out today a little bit, though. Ohio State's offense finally started. Not at the beginning today. of the game. The hate, beginning of the game was pretty rough. Hate that for our ledger picks. We're all yes. on the Hilltoppers <laughs> plus the 29. That went out the door in the first half. Um, yeah, just kind of. Kind of the start of a of a day of parlay pain for the for the fellas. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, but yes, please let us know if you've got an elite team. I will say, last comment here: Georgia can be elite. I think it's 
I think it's more likely than not that they are elite, but holy cow, they've got to get the offense out of first gear earlier in the game. I think the defense is really 100%. good. I think the defense is really good, but my word, um, that offense has got to produce. Um, all right, let's talk through a couple of other games here before uh, moving on. We'll talk about the Big 12. We talked about the SEC um, a, a little bit. I think we'll continue to talk about that through some of these games. But, guys, number 11, Tennessee, got whooped in the swamp tonight, 29-16. It really wasn't even that close um, watching that game. Florida did, and I know you all had questions about this coming in, but Florida did what I thought they might do, and that's play bully ball against yeah. a Tennessee team that could not retain the ball offensively. Joe Milton was throwing ground balls. He was throwing pop flies, basically anything but accurate passes to his wide receivers for much of the game. Um, Travis Etienne takes over 172 yards on the ground and a, a, a touchdown. And guys, when you look at this game, penalties and O of three on fourth down were just the nail in the coffin for, for a Tennessee team that came in. It felt like a little bit on eggshells. It felt like they realized that no Tennessee team had beaten the Gators in back-to-back seasons since 2003, since 2004. And, and Trey, it just felt like Tennessee was was kind of playing cautious. They were playing a little scared tonight. They definitely were. They felt the energy of the crowd. They felt, you know, the moment felt too big for them. And it definitely felt different than the Tennessee team we saw last year. Um, and it makes sense when you think about all the talent that those guys lost from last year. The quarterback, all the receivers, even some of the top performers on defense and the offensive line. So maybe we underestimated some of us in this room, not saying you, Mitch, because I think you called this one very well, but I think the uh, Garrett and I, I'll say, maybe I'll just speak for myself, but I think Garrett and I maybe underestimated, (laughs) you know, the big impact of that in their first true road game in the Southeastern conference, because you're right. And I think Florida to their credit, we haven't necessarily been saying Florida has a talent problem everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. But what we have been saying and beating the drum for is Graham Mertz is not a guy that is going to win you games on his own back. And they figured that out tonight. They just ran the ball a ton with ETN, like you said, and they only made Graham Mertz throw the ball 24 times. And he was extremely efficient. He was 19 to 24 for 166 yards, didn't turn the ball over through the air. And that's a winning recipe for Florida. Just run the ball, use that offensive line, rely on your defense who has a ton of athletes to, you know, do their thing, rush the passer, create a lot of havoc and get out of there with a, maybe a little bit ugly looking on the scoreboard, but a win in a game that not many people outside of Gainesville were expecting you to win. So hats off to Billy Napier and the staff for having a really, really good game plan and exploiting the matchups that, you know, we thought they needed to really exploit to win this game. Yeah, Trey, you can you can speak for me on that one. I definitely <laughs> underestimated the Florida Gators on this. Look, and it looks like they put it together on defense. It looks like they yeah. found a way to, you know, put little pieces together and figure out. Really hey, we have the Tennessee run game too. They they, they really did. disrupted that. Yeah, they that they were completely ineffective on the ground. But uh, you said it right. Er, you know, Mertz was effective. He did what he needed to do. He, you know, he helped them move the chains at times. He helped them keep the ball going. But they just kind of, you know, bowed up and they played strong football. <laughs> they, they took care of their business. And and I don't know if it's just a team chemistry coming together type of thing or if it's – I don't know what it is, but it seems like that defense is really starting to click into gear. If that's the case, then we could be talking about 
you know, I don't know if this is a half team or a three quarter team because I still don't think they're going to pass the ball very effectively this year. But a really good defense plus a strong run game that'll go win you games in the SEC. So, you know, hats off to Florida. They did a really good job. And looking around the rest of your conference, you have to feel a little bit better today about, you know, how you're feeling about the season if you're a Gators fan. It's, it's the beauty of winning, losing a game early and then, you know, notching an impressive win early is it feels like, oh, well, maybe everything's fine. Maybe maybe we've fixed everything, <laughs> right? Now, the issue for me and the reason why I had the confidence to pick Florida to win this game is because they were at home. They just mm-hmm. play at a different level when they're in the swamp. The crowd forces a lot of penalties from the other team, and you saw that from Tennessee tonight, a lot of procedural penalties Guys yeah. not getting lined up in the right way. Um, but I worry about when Florida goes on the road, and especially when they're playing teams that can sling the rock, because I don't trust Florida to be able to to mount a big comeback. I don't trust Florida to be able to get down early and mount a comeback. So when I look at their schedule, they'll play a Biff Poggy's squad at home in Charlotte next week, um, and then they'll go on the road to Kentucky. They'll go on the road later in October to South Carolina. They'll uh, play in the cocktail game against Georgia. Uh, they'll host Arkansas. But then their, their close, guys, is at LSU, at Missouri, versus Florida State. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you look at that schedule, I think they can beat Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's been a very impressive team this year. No. They'll beat Vanderbilt. But then tell me – the rest of that schedule, like where is their guaranteed, where are their guaranteed wins? Because I kind of look at that schedule, and even though they played a great ball game today, they were able to run it, they were physical. I'm still not penciling in wins once you get into October and November, and that's why I'm still really concerned about this team's ability to kind of stay cohesive, to stay together. Am, am I wrong there? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think that they are going to have an uphill battle in a lot of their games this year, and that's going to be really difficult for them. Uh, and it's going to be difficult for the future as well, for building for the future as well. I think that's still those concerns are still there even after tonight. Yeah, I think you're going to have to do your best to win the games that you can, and you probably got to sneak an upset or two. And, and in the big spots, right, you got to find a way to play really competitive against Florida State or – you know, sneak a game away from LSU somehow. You, you just got to find a way to make a splash because, you know, if you do end up going through the rest of the season and you, you can't pass the football and there's some other teams that are maybe a little bit better than you, um, you know, it, it could be pretty rough. And especially the optics, you want to be able to build through the portal, right? They have this impossible schedule coming up next year. You want to build through the portal, give yourself a chance. So, you know, it's, it's I, I don't know how to navigate this. I'm glad that I'm not Billy Napier today. <laughs> I'm glad that we did that thought experiment one time. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm nervous. I'm a, if I'm a Florida fan, I'm enjoying the moment, but I don't know how to navigate the rest of this schedule right now. Yeah. Guys, the most complete team, in my estimation, in the Pac-12 is the eighth ranked Washington Huskies. They did exactly what we, what we thought they would do to Michigan State. No cornered animal syndrome up in East Lansing, a 41 to seven shellacking. Neil guys, Brown syndrome, sir. We said we would change the name. You're right. You're right. My got apologies. It done tonight. My, he did. He did. My apologies. I, mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with the way that West Virginia <laughs> won that game. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I feel like Pitt lost that more than West Virginia won it, but I, we'll get there. That's Neil uh, Brown ball, baby. <laughs> uh, Make three, the other team lose. <laughs> 356 yards passing, 
at the half for Michael Penix Jr. He finishes with 473, four touchdowns, uh, 13 and a half average completion. Guys, the uh, rushing totals were 177 yards for Washington, 53 for Michigan State. I want to just read off the Washington receiver stats because, um, fellas, this is this is just beautiful to behold. Roma Dunze, my pick to win the Bolitnikoff. Not hearing a lot of haters right now. Eight catches, a buck 80, 22 and a half yards per reception. Um, Jalen Polk, five catches, 118 and a touchdown. Jalen McMillan, four for 96. Uh, and then you had a bunch of other guys get involved. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different receivers catch passes. And oh, by the way, Jack Westover, four catches, 37 yards three of them for Tutters. So um, Washington is unstoppable. And then, oh, by the way, their defense is really freaking good. They hold Michigan State uh, to, what was this, 200 and quick math, 261 61. total yards yeah. of offense. Uh, that is that is not elite. Noah Kim had himself a day. 12 of 31 and an interception. Um, just a really tough day to be a Spartan uh, for so many reasons. But Going on the road, it doesn't matter who the opponent is. You go to a Power 5 school, Michigan State has all the resources and all the talent to be able to compete, and you blow them out of the water. Guys, I know I picked USC to win the Pac-12, but I am really changing my tune. Washington looks like not only a conference champion, but I'll say it, they look like a national champion the way that they're playing right now. I, I, I think it's time to get off the tracks, otherwise you're going to get run over. Welcome, brother. Welcome to the bandwagon. Uh, listen, it, it's really fun to see a preseason prediction start to look really, really good three weeks into the season. Uh, we all have some of those throughout the year. I just happened to ha- be really high on Washington, like we all were, but I, I picked him to the playoffs, so I'm just going to pick back here. Yep. But, man, it, it was just a tough situation. It's so easy, I think, to come into the situation that they were in today and think that Michigan State was going to just roll over. And, you know, when you think that your opponent's going to roll over, that's when they don't. And I know we we joke about the cornered animal syndrome, the Neil Brown syndrome, whatever. But that when you just expect them to roll over for you, that's exactly when they don't. And that's when they dig deep and find a way to beat you. From the word go today, Washington just showed that they were going to show no mercy. And that was just fantastic to see over 700 yards of total offense throughout that whole game is just absurd. Like, I, I, I don't know the Michigan State records. I'm sure that's some sort of record for giving up in a home game. And it, it, they're well on their way to being one of the top teams in the country. What else can you say at this point? Michael Penix Jr. has to be the Heisman favorite at this point. If I'm a voter, I, I'm giving him my vote through three weeks of the season. Yeah, I think Washington probably has the best offense overall in the country. I don't think that you can really debate that at this point. Um, everything they're doing is working and you know we we were kind of joking about it earlier in the in the group text but I was watching this game on Peacock because that was the only place you could find it and I was not on Peacock for very long today Um, I was on Peacock until I think it was 28 nothing went in and I was like oh well this is just getting ugly we should go find something else to watch so (laughs) I, I tuned out at that point but yeah it's it's, it's not that I didn't like watching Washington football. That's always enjoyable. It's just not so much fun when they're beating up on a team without a coach in a bad situation, and they weren't even that good to begin with and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to watch Washington. Um, I think my big thing 
with Washington is I want to see how they play against Oregon. That's become one of my favorite games to watch this year already. Um, I think Oregon is right up there with them in terms of being a really, really great team. And I think that's going to be a blow for blow, just, I mean, amazing game to watch. So looking forward to that one, looking forward to see how that shapes out in the Pac-12. And uh, yeah, I think there's a good chance that some of the best teams just might be on the West Coast this year. Uh, one of my favorite tweets of the day, I think, came from Reddit College Football. They they took a screenshot of the Pac-12 scoreboard and said, uh, it's you know great to see Pac-12 schools shutting out FCS opponents. And it was uh, Washington State at the time was shutting out Northern Colorado. UCLA was shutting out North Carolina Central. And Washington was shutting out Michigan State. Um, boy, if that's if that's not the state of the Spartan the program, disrespect with 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 D'Antonio back on the sidelines, man. Uh, and there's a great picture of grumpy D'Antonio, um, just not really <laughs> not really sure what to do. I think he was probably wishing he was anywhere but uh, but on the field there yeah. in East Lansing. Look out for Washington. I'm I'm excited to see if they can keep the boat rolling um, for sure. Uh, back to the SEC. The one team in the Southeastern Conference that looked like, okay, uh, you know, maybe championship aspirations are not out of the question for them, the LSU Tigers. Um, now, Trey, I'm going to let you lead off on this because uh, you you avidly defended Stark Vegas. And, hey, an 11 a.m. kick, things get weird in Stark Vegas. But, um, you know, the old reverse scoreline here, 41-14, Mississippi State didn't didn't do a whole lot right in this game. Yeah, I patted myself on the back extra hard for on Washington because I saw that this one was up next on the run sheet, and I uh, definitely went to bat for Mississippi State on the preview show, and they did not follow through because I don't know how much of this game you guys watch. It was pathetic for Mississippi State. It, it was just absolutely pathetic. They couldn't do anything on the uh, on the offensive side of the ball. At near the end of the first half, Will Rogers, I think, was 3 of 12 for about 19 yards. And that the eyeball test said that that's probably a little bit better than what, what you would have seen with your eyes. So it, it was just an absolute shellacking by LSU, a very, very impressive performance by the Tigers. Go on the road in a really tricky place to play. It was a loud environment. Mitch even texted me at the very beginning of the game. I'm a little, a little nervous about my pick because I did. You know, it's a very loud environment right now. But LSU handled that like professionals, and they just buried the uh, Bulldogs really early and didn't look back. And I'm also mad that Mississippi State couldn't even do me a favor and help my parlay cash because they scored a stupid touchdown at the end to <laughs> to sink the under. They couldn't do anything right today. They they just had a really bad day. Yes, yes, they did. Will Rogers uh, finishes 11 to 28 for 103 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Guys, they got to blow up whatever it is they're calling offense there in Starkville. Um, I know Zach Arnett is installing his own program. I get that, but holy cow, we, we got to figure it out because that offense isn't going to beat anybody in the Southeastern Conference. Doesn't matter how, how good or how bad your defense was like it was today. You're not beating anybody scoring 14 points a game. Um, so yeah, tough, a little bit of tough scene there for, for Mississippi state uh, Garrett. I mean, Jaden Daniels, we we've had some questions about if he can play at an elite level, 30 to 34, 361 yards, two touchdowns. That is a, uh, what was it? It was an 88 something percent completion percentage. That is the highest in LSU history. He looked really, really good here today. Yeah, I'm going to say 88% is pretty dang good. 
not a whole lot of percents above that for it to get better. So, um, look, that's that's pretty cool. Good for him. Um, really excited to see kind of where his progression goes. He didn't look like that in the first week, uh, but looks like they figured something out. Looks like they kind of you know cracked the neck a little bit and they okay, let's figure this out. How do we play football again? And I got to tell you what, neighbors, he's gonna be a yep. fantastic pro. He's yep. gonna be so good at the next level. He, he, I went through and looked at his career stats just to kind of see. And he's, you know, he's on an insane pace with like his yards per catch. He's, he's on an insane pace for his touchdown. It, it, he's, he's going to be very, very good. And if LSU's going to have the same kind of success they had last season, this season, I think neighbors has to be a massive part of it. So excited for LSU, excited that they went in there and took care of business. Um, you know, Stark Vegas can be a weird place to play, but not if you're the LSU Tigers today, I guess. Did we yeah, say 30. neighbors stat line at all? Cause I just want to shout him out if we didn't say that yet. 13 it, catches, it was, 239 yards, and two touchdowns. Yeah, just absolutely Pretty good. They had no answer for him all day long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two other games that I want to mention, and then we'll run down our scoreboards. Um, listen, I called this in the preseason. At least I sounded the alarm. Let me let me correct that. I sounded the alarm. Garrett had the spine to call it outright. South Alabama runs rough shot over Oklahoma state 33 to seven Oklahoma state had 70 total yards at the half and guys, the Oklahoma state quarterbacks, that's the issue for this team. Well, now they might have a defensive issue as well, but we knew the quarterbacks, the quarterback room is going to be the issue coming into the season combined. They played three quarterbacks. They go 16 of 35, 114 yards and an interception I, Garrett, I got to give you credit. I backed off this pick uh, outright. I picked South Alabama to cover the spread, but I, I backed off the outright pick because they hadn't done anything to kind of goad me into that. But my goodness, that was a Sunbelt victory, um, a statement victory for the Sunbelt this year. Just just a terrible showing for the Pokes. Yeah, man. And I got to say, like, it, first, I'm going to start off. My little sister goes to Oklahoma State. It is nothing personal on this one. It's just business. But Oklahoma State, y'all got y'all self spanked. I'm sorry. It's it, it's so it. piss poor what y'all ended up doing there. Uh, so my, my parents were at that game for Parents Weekend, and they were saying that people were booing the team off the field as they ran in the, in, into the locker room at halftime. That's, that's poor. Um, look, they just got outplayed flat out. That's it. You know, LaDamian Webb, fantastic game, 18 carries, 151 yards, two touchdowns. Um, also worth noting, Colin Lacey, five catches for 104 yards, two touchdowns as well. They're effective in all facets of the game on offense. They put up 30 points on the road at a power five team, a, a program that, you know, they pride themselves on being a good environment to go play at. The vibes were at an all time low in Stillwater this evening. Um, and look, there, just, there wasn't anything going well. I mean, their leading rusher for Oklahoma state carried for 31 yards. Their leading receiver had 42 yards receiving. Nothing went well for Oklahoma State. They got outplayed start to finish by South Alabama. This wasn't a fluky win. I didn't expect it to be this out of whack. I thought USA might have won, you know, know, South Alabama comes out there and they, they, you know, kind of jump out and they kind of go back and forth for a little bit. And it's 24-17. That's the final. I would not have expected this big of a blowout. So Mm -hmm. um, hats off to South Alabama. Good job, guys. You know, has me, you know, chanting USA at the end of the night. But, uh, you know, tough scene in Stillwater. And, you know, I have to think this might be the beginning of the end for Gundy as well. He hasn't seemed to really adjust to the portal, hasn't seemed to really adjust to what NIL is. So 
if he's not going to catch up with the times, I think he's going to watch his roster walk out the door and, you know, hit himself maybe get handed his papers as well. Yeah, certainly a low point for Mike Gundy. South Alabama only had to attempt 16 passes to shellac Oof. Oklahoma State in this way. So that's the only thing I have to add there. It, just a terrible, terrible night in Stillwater. A lot of fan bases are down bad tonight. I think Oklahoma State is probably down the worst. I, I yeah. think they might be. Uh, although I tell you what, if Kansas finds a way to lose to Owen to Nevada, yeah. which, yeah. which they're looking at that one, they're tied right now at the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, that that would also be a a Big Twelve program down something. Well, let's bad. not let Colorado off the hook. Might need- well, that's very true. That's very I true. Might need- on you, and then you lose to your in-state rival. Maybe that would be pretty down bad. Do we need a new weekly segment or like a weekly graphic of like just down bad fan base rankings? Like who who's feeling? Hundred percent. Right we now? need to do a down bad segment. Right. That's going to happen in the future. Tomorrow, right. I'm on it. Book it. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> guys. Uh, last game to mention here before we run down the scoreboards: the back backyard brawl. Um, I, I don't know if this was a brawl. Maybe it was a I don't know a, a backyard disagreement. Um, a, a backyard... It was a backyard birthday party because the host or the one of the hosts, you know, ended up you know getting a gift at the end of it. So and yeah, that made them happy, I guess. I mean, you know, it, I know these teams hate each other, and these games are are usually low scoring. But I don't know. It just both teams are not very good, and it it looked like that it watched like that um garrett green went out in the first quarter i felt so bad for him you know this is a kid who waited his turn to be the quarterback at west virginia knew how much this game meant it's at home and then he exits the game in the first quarter just a couple plays in with a leg injury but west virginia does end up pulling it off shout out trey you you rode with with neil brown here um you know again my my little asterisk here i felt like Pitt more lost this game than west virginia won it um phil jerkovic certainly did his part eight to 20 with three interceptions and and guys when i say these were three just horrendous interceptions i mean literally the tv broadcast was calling it out like freshman type mistakes throwing late over the middle of the field throwing into triple coverage just no ability to see the field clearly um even with those turnovers, West Virginia only only manages to score 17. But hey, in a rivalry game, you'll you'll take the win. Nico Marchial has to come on in, in relief, six and nine for a touchdown. Um, anything to take away from this other than maybe Neil Brown buys himself some more time and and earns a new moniker on our show? Yeah, I mean he definitely earned some goodwill. I think he's still definitely squarely on the hot seat for the rest of the season. I rode with him tonight. I'm not riding him with for the rest of the season. The only thing I have to add is I think Phil Dracovic broke the QBR system because I wanted to know what his QBR was tonight. He didn't have and one. I, I pulled it up on the stats. It's just a dash for the yep. QBR section for in his game log. So I think he broke the rating system tonight. So congrats, I guess, Phil Dracovic. History. Um, <laughs> if you can call it that. Well, listen, I mean, that's that was a big reason why I wasn't high on Pitt coming into this year. I mean, the defense yeah. played great, but they cannot score. And uh, I think it's going to be a long year for the for the Pitt Panthers. So congrats to, to West Virginia. You win that rivalry game. But I don't I don't really know what else you take away from from that game going forward. 
Um, Garrett, I don't know if you saw the message, but if we could queue up the group of five scoreboard first to, to roll this off, if I need to buy time, I absolutely will. But, um, I want to run through just highlights, other games that we didn't get to. Obviously we talked about South Alabama shout out to a couple teams flying the flag today. Ohio beats Iowa state 10 to seven. Um, that was an ugly, ugly game. Uh, apparently some Iowa state players were dealing with food poisoning. I don't know if that's helping cyclone fans get over this loss any more than than they're gonna have to uh james madison hangs on over troy um boy give me just a second to soapbox about this so my parlay my my first long shot parlay hit except for the freaking brian ference fluffer touchdown with 28 seconds left we were on the path to cover town baby with western michigan and i would have hit a nice little parlay that included james madison on the money line and then literally a fourth and goal with 30 seconds left. No reason to run a play and score a touchdown, but we got that 325-point quota to get to, and by golly, <laughs> Brian Ference is trying his best. He scores a touchdown. Iowa wins by 31, I believe. The number was 28-and-a-half. So just a, a verbal heck you to Iowa there. But congrats to James <laughs> Madison. That was a physical game with Troy. I don't know if you guys got to watch that at all, but just a defensive slugfest. Troy was having a big... I don't know if it was homecoming or a big, uh, you know, kind of honor hall of fame, uh, honoring some greats. Demarcus Ware was there in attendance. Um, anything else stand out to you guys on this Miami of Ohio beat Cincinnati, uh, and then army knocks off UTSA Trey, I'm, I'm really wondering if UTSA is dead in the water. Yeah, I think it might be time about time to pronounce time of death on UTSA. Just, uh, I know they had, didn't have Frank Harris Friday night, but it, the defense just, I'm really concerned about them getting through the American unscathed with the defensive effort that they put out there so far. I, I think a lot of teams are going to score a lot of points on them. Yeah, I want to go ahead and shout out my guys up there, Miami, Ohio. I wrote your preview for you. Getting the win over Cincinnati. I, I know the win. ESPN still think that they, they, they still think that they tied in, <laughs> on the ESPN score bug. So, you know, it's not 1-1-1. One, one, and one. This is a 2-1 and one for you, Miami. So good for you guys. <laughs> Proud of you boys up there. It was fun to write to preview and fun to talk about you in this moment. You know, Gabbard having a pretty decent day, not throwing the ball all that many times. 11 for 19, 229, two touchdowns. Did have one interception. Uh, but, you know, good performance overall. You know, getting the ball going on the ground. Gage Larvidane getting it 79-yard passing touchdown at the very beginning of the, of the game. This is like 15 seconds in, just hits a big one over the top. So, shout out my guys up there, Miami, Ohio. They uh they put the Premier League intern on uh on Maction Watch here today. <laughs> they went to overtime and he just didn't know what to do with that. Um so <laughs> anyway. Uh Garrett, what else we got scoreboard watch wise? Um got uh, the power five to get through. Let's go to the pack twelve. Let's go out west. Um not a ton here to talk about, I don't think. I mean, ooh, my heavens, Sacramento State does beat Stanford. That that game has gone final. The Troy Taylor Bowl. Uh, Troy Taylor leaving Sac State after a very successful career there to go coach the Cardinal. Um, that game does not go his way. Shout out Cal. They were down, I think, 17 to nothing or 14 to nothing to Idaho, who, mm -hmm. boy, they're looking like the class of the FCS. And, and Cal, Cal's offense might be for real, guys. I, I continue to kind of squash them on a weekly basis. Um, but but maybe they've got something there. They, they end up coming back, and that's don't, – don't look at just the – the brand name and think, Oh, congrats. They beat an FCS school. That is a very good Idaho squad that crushed Nevada last week. Oh, that's a really good ACC team there in Cal. 
That's that's true. <laughs> that's true. ACC claiming some transitive wins. Oregon, we talked about that. That 55-10 is the final score there. Um, and then Colorado State and Colorado are, are actively playing right now. Colorado State up 21-14 in the third quarter right now. Um, Fresno and State driving. is they, – they are. They are. I mean, guys – I guess you know. Let, let's 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 have a brief discussion on that. Just just real quick, what happens if Colorado loses this game? Then they're right back on par for where we thought they'd be <laughs> at this time of the yeah. season, right? I mean, yeah, all the hype kind of goes out the window. I think the balloon definitely gets deflated, and we start out to ask, having to ask a lot of questions about did we overhype Deion Sanders too soon? And the answer to that will be undoubtedly yes. That'd be hilarious, and it'd be a terrible day for sunglasses and hats. Any, any the owners t- of a sunglass hut, or you know, any Oakley retailers out there, tough day for anybody selling sunglasses or hats and wanting people to wear them inside or you know at nighttime. They would be at the top of the down bad list, a hundred percent. Oh, a hundred percent. This whole thing, dude. Yeah. I mean, college game day, college game day, and the big noon kickoff were were both there. Uh, Lee Corso was four hundredth headgear pick was for Colorado. Um, I mean, they were running, you know, special on, I think her name is, is it Peggy? Is that right? Like the super fan who's mm-hmm. 106 years old or something like that. She's been cheering them on since well, like the thirties. Oh, this would be a, this would be a disaster for Colorado. Well, and big noon. They had Lil Wayne perform and he put on a Colorado Jersey during the performance and just kept that's I'm like, this was such a scene. Yeah. This became oh, such a big thing. And, deservedly so right they, they deserve this yeah did y'all see the uh they, they were showing all the guys on the sidelines and in the boxes mm-hmm. for this game like a towards the end of the first half it, it is a very very a list for a college football game i don't know if i've ever seen that many celebrities <laughs> at a college football game outside of like the national championship right where it's yeah. just show up right. to be seen yeah and when uh, usc yeah. is really good a lot of yeah you see them at like yeah but, in la at the rose bowl or you know sure. wherever else it, it, that'll happen but yeah it it what a scene in colorado to have all those people descend from the college football universe and from all these different celebrity ranks and everything else and for you to lose to colorado state who i mean i'm gonna be honest don't know too much about colorado state we didn't even cover this game in our preview really um, and if they were to lose to this Colorado State team, this that would be embarrassing. Um, that that would be embarrassing to say the least. And you know, you you draw a lot of ire, especially after what you said this last week. Draw Ooh. a lot of ire. <laughs> good good news for any Colorado fans that are are tuned in live here. Uh, Colorado State was driving in the red zone down to the ten yard line, and they just Colorado forced a fumble. To get the go. ball back, so they're down okay. seven uh, midway through the third quarter. They're going to go score. They're they're going to dodge a big bullet there. They could have been down two scores. Yeah. Uh, where else are we going with scoreboard watch as we get ready to wrap up this uh, this live show here? Let's go to the ACC. We talked about Miami, uh, Syracuse. I I kind of thought I was out on a limb saying that a very unproven Syracuse team was going to win. Not only do they win against the Boilermakers, right. they cover. 35-20, Garrett Schrader did another good job. I tell you what, he doesn't throw the ball all that well, but he kind of picks his moments. He's great with his legs. Um, yeah, I mean, goodness, what a, what a job for the Orange. Once again, we got to ask the question, is Syracuse good? I, I don't like this question. 
top five ACC quarterback Garrett Schrader right there. That's we right. picked it in the preseason. <laughs> um, Louisville, Indiana, that under hit. I told you guys take the under 21-14. I got a little nervous when Louisville jumped out to a 14-0 lead, but then my Hoosiers, tell you what, they didn't win the ball game. But... Too. Were they up 21-0? I thought that, they, they got up 21 I flipped I through that game early yeah. in the day, and I saw 21-0. I'm like, the route is on, and then I just kept going. <laughs> now, cash the under again. We were – we, we made it to cover town in two of the three. Heck you, Brian Ferentz. Uh, Wake Forest was down. I, I can't remember if it was 17, nothing or 24, nothing. It was 24 uh, but, to, it was 24 to seven, I believe. Okay. Yeah. They came all the way back to escape. What would have been a very embarrassing loss on the road at old dominion. Uh, North Carolina takes care of business. At Minnesota, really the only downside for North Carolina in this game was Drake May threw a couple of picks right to Minnesota linebackers. I mean, uh, he was the offensive line was under siege a little bit today, but uh, you take away the picks that Drake May is in a bad habit of throwing right now, and I think North Carolina can be a pretty good team. Yeah, the defense is still stepping up. I know Minnesota isn't going to confuse anybody for an offensive juggernaut, but you know, the a team like Minnesota might have scored. 20, 30 points on North Carolina last year. So very, very impressive to see them holding strong on that side of the ball. Yeah, sure. I wonder if it's just a, you know, it's a new offensive coordinator. So it's just kind of adjusting to a different scheme and it doesn't Could quite be. work as well for him. I, I'm wondering if that's what's up with Drake May. I mean, the rest of the team seems to be playing quite well, but, you know, it's going to it's gonna take some time. He's shown us what he's capable of. We'll see how fast they can get it to click into place. Uh. Garrett, go ahead and roll through these next ones. We'll just kind of give a give give a give one take, I guess. So Big 12's up next. Uh Trey, what's what's your take here as you look down this this Big 12 slate? BYU going yeah. into Fayetteville and getting the win. That that is not something I had on my week three bingo card. Shout out to Keaton Slovis and the boys. I wrote their preview article. I said they could be plucky this year, but they were the least impressive 2-0 team in the entire country, just barely getting by Sam Houston, not looking very impressive in their FCS game last week as well. I guess they were holding it back for Fayetteville because they came in and just, you know, ran roughshod over the Razorbacks. Yeah, I'd say my biggest takeaway, I'm just going to look at the two teams we mentioned earlier, Texas and Oklahoma. These are supposed to be the class of the conference. They haven't been the last couple of years, but, oh, boy, they're starting to look pretty good again. I know Texas struggled for the majority of that game. Ended up winning 31-10. You know, OU put away Tulsa, a couple of, you know, lesser teams. But these two teams starting to look pretty good and starting to match up. You know, got a couple weeks left until we get to watch these two teams play. So I'm, I'm excited to see what ends up happening on that day. Trey, I took Houston at home to cover against the Horn Frogs. It looked like they were going to for a long bit of that time. And Houston just could not get the ball in the end zone. TCU's defense stood on its head. They win 29-13. Uh, the Horn Frogs, certainly not the class of the Big 12, but a team that you don't want to see going on the road to Fort Worth, you don't want coming in your own building. I think the Frogs are going to be dangerous. Uh, we got the Big 10 and the SEC up next. Big 10, um, guys, my takeaway here, I, I told you a little bit about Penn State. I'm nervous about their play in the trenches. Yes, they win 30-13 to 13 on the road against Illinois, a game that I think if you just look at the score, you go, oh, good, Penn State took care of business. Drew Aller did not throw a touchdown pass today. Didn't look particularly sharp. First kind of cause for pause that I've had this season with Penn State. I'm not 
entirely sure that I feel I, I feel as confident as I did in the preseason that they they can beat Michigan, that they can go on the road and knock off Ohio State. I you know leading right into that, Ohio State was my biggest winner today in the Big Ten because it finally looked like the offense was clicking. It finally looked like Kyle McCord was building chemistry with his two elite wide receivers. And I expected Western Kentucky to put up quite a bit more of a fight, but just defensively, Ohio State shut down one of the best offenses in the entire FBS. So hats off to the Buckeyes this week for me. Guys, we're leaving a, a team off of this scoreboard. There's a team that played on Friday night that plays up there in the Big Ten, and the Maryland Terrapins, I, I enjoyed watching that game pretty much the whole time. They looked really, really good. They started down 14-0. Virginia brought out a new quarterback, and they were missing their um, their best safety, Bo Braden. So, you know, a little bit of an adjustment coming out of the locker room, but then they come back, score 42 unanswered. They had, like, three picks on five passes in that game in the, in the second half. Yikes. Just an insane performance from Maryland. And as we start to look around, I was mentioning it in the preseason. Maybe Penn State isn't all they're cracked up to be. Ohio State, maybe they figured it out today. Maybe they didn't. Who knows? Michigan, slow start, finish strong. I think that Maryland could grab one of these games, end up with 10 wins. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We left them off of here, but uh, I wanted to shout them out because I couldn't let it happen. Not my Terps. Uh, My bad. One, <laughs> one, <laughs> one, one last comment. Shout out Rutgers. They're three and zero. We yeah, are cruising. Right. We're cruising to bowl eligibility. They take care of Virginia Tech, thirty-five sixteen. Cash the ticket on the ledger. Uh, finally, the SEC scoreboard. Um, the SEC might be the conference of mid this year, guys. I mean, listen, the Big Twelve is not very good. <laughs> I don't think the ACC is going to be a championship caliber conference. But the SEC is undeniably struggling. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to Garrett. Let's start with you. I mean, we, we've hit on a lot of these highlights. I just don't know that I see a big difference maker that's leaping off the page at me. A team that I, I think I will trust them week in, week out against any opponent. That's been something that we've been able to bank on out of the SEC. But not just one team, but honestly, multiple teams through the years. Yeah, and I don't think that you necessarily have that team right now, though you could have certain teams emerging. I think if you're looking at two teams that I would call emerging right now, I think so. Obviously, I think LSU is probably at the top of the West. You have Georgia, I think, by default, top of the East. But a couple teams I think that could be emerging are Ole Miss and Texas A&M. I think that you could pick both of those teams as emerging teams. They've got good offenses. They're certainly not perfect teams. You know, A&M, obviously, with the defensive struggles on display in Miami. Ole Miss, slow start a couple times, not quite putting away the teams that they should have, letting, you know, Georgia Tech, Tulane, a couple of these teams hanging around a little bit longer than they should. But if either of these teams can kind of figure it out, play a little bit better on defense, you know, play more consistently on offense, I think that those two teams could be challengers for the SEC by the time we get to the end of the season. Missouri also kind of an emerging team as well. I liked what they did today with Kansas State. So Missouri, you could look at them on the east as possibly a team to come up and, and challenge Georgia if they can't, you know, get off to some faster starts. You know, big play from Luther Burden over the top. And, you know, it's 7 nothing Missouri. We could be talking about Missouri kind of controlling some games, playing Georgia pretty close. So I, I don't think that those teams exist right now, but call me in three or four weeks. Kentucky, too. I would add Kentucky to that list. They looked a sure. lot better today. Devin Leary might finally be getting the uh, – 
you know, getting the offense under him and Mitch, your darling's looking a little bit better. I mean, we'll take it, right? We'll take <laughs> it. Uh, boy, they Kentucky's needed some. What are, some what are magic. we doing, Colorado? Oh, I uh, thought Colorado was about to give up a safety right there. Sorry. No, uh, no, no. They they blocked <laughs> blocked a field goal. Still twenty one. He was running 14. after it, and I thought he was going to touch it in the end zone and boot it out. Sorry. So live live radio here. <laughs> that's that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what he did. I was I was thinking to myself, please don't touch that. Um, I'll, last thing, I'll shout out Texas A and M. They they played well against uh, Louisiana Monroe. Beat the teams that you're supposed to. The offense is legit. Um, that offensive line, they're going to be a difference maker. They're going to have to be a difference maker if AM is going to beat teams like Alabama, like Auburn next week at home. You have to give Connor Wegman time to throw because Wegman's proven he's legit. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, might be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. But that offensive line has to stand up. The secondary got off to a very slow start again today, but the defense bowed up defense improved every single quarter that they played so guys first live show it's done we're glad to have it here in the books thrilled to have you with us if you've watched us live if you have been watching the uh, the video on demand or maybe you're listening to us through the podcast like the traditional way we're glad to have you here we continue to grow over on our social channels as well at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, of course you can find us anytime on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple as well for Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening until next time. So long, everybody. Gracious. Yep. Ha!